Guys, you know that it is October, and uh, we have um, a nomination going on, a nomination for the office of elder. Um, much of my motivation, perhaps uh, bordering on all of my motivation, uh, for what I'm going to say tonight is designed to prompt you, to encourage you, to uh, stimulate you to participate in, in this process of nominating the people that lead us. You know, we saw something take place in our country this this past summer, and I guess it was August, wasn't it, when uh, Congress was out and Congress went home and to, to meet with its constituency, and they had all these town hall meetings and all this business. Um, and you saw fury like it has rarely been seen. And I, somebody said it was the worst ever. Then somebody said, no, maybe uh, during the Vietnam War it was as bad. Um, but you saw something taking place that people were mad mad at the way they were being governed. Um, I I hope this is not too tender to say to some of you, because I know some of you went through this, and I've I've been very um, sympathetic towards your having gone through it, and that is we have seen a very fine, very wonderful evangelical church in our community rent asunder, uh, and the issues were not theological. The issues were governmental they were how a church was being governed, how a church was being run. And, and um, uh, you know, people who went through that, some who are here right now, will tell you uh, nothing has been more uncomfortable, uh, more unpleasant for them in their church experience as having gone through something like that, where, where the, the, the people begin to disrespect and distrust government. You saw it in our country. You see, you saw it in that church, ladies and gentlemen. And so, um, <clears throat> whereas, very honestly, <clears throat> I would rather teach Romans. Now, <laughs> obviously, I love Romans, um, as most of you already know. But, but uh, what I have to say tonight is really a continuation of what I started two weeks ago. And we'll wrap it up tonight. We were not going to spend a whole lot of time. But, guys, this is, um, this is not a throwaway. That is, the Wednesday night, this is not a throwaway. Um, I am motivated to, to, to prompt you to, to, to consider entering into this process of nomination and then election come December. But, guys, um, uh, the other part of the motivation is um, a, government, a, a government that is not trusted is one that's going to produce a whole lot of anger, whether it be nationally or ecclesiastically. And so uh, we're going to talk about some stuff about government tonight about the qualifications for elders so if you got your bible with you um i've i've struggled with as which one i should read there's two passages one's in first timothy three so let's read that one let's read the first timothy three passage um it's it's brief the other one is in titus one and they're very similar but it should impress you that uh there's a whole lot more in the new testament about uh how a church is to be governed than you may expect you think it's all about miracles and parables, and ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's a there's a whole lot more, and there's a lot of stuff in here concerning how the people of God are to be led, and what is your response to those who you establish as leaders. So let's take a look at it some tonight, and and hopefully this will be beneficial to you, and hopefully uh, you will determine that you too should be a part of the whole process. So let me read you. Beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it'll only read through verse 7, so small passage. The saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 
therefore, an overseer or an elder, um, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, guys, uh, concerning that passage, I, I just want to draw your attention to a couple of things. The devil is mentioned twice in that passage. Um, there is something very devilish about um, unqualified leadership. There are things that can happen uh, when leadership is unqualified that damage the people of God and damage the church in a way that nothing else can. Um... If you've ever been through a church split, now I, I have not been through a church split, um, and I hope never to have to go through one, but if you ever have been through, there's, there are scars that are left on you, there are a lot of disillusioned people out here who will never um, think about darkening the doors of a church again because of the scars that they bear having gone through watching a church devour itself. And, and having Satan get involved in this. Guys, I, I'm not introducing Satan. Paul did. When he gets ready to describe the qualifications for elder, he mentions the devil twice. As if to say, there's a lot that he can use to disrupt God's people uh, if this is not honored. Now, guys, we went over a lot two weeks ago. Um, what I want to show you, by the way, the Titus 1 passage is very similar to this, but it adds a little bit here and there. But what I want to do for you is um, uh, kind of summarize in seven headings um, what the New Testament has to say about people who should lead. Okay? The men who should be chosen and elected as elders. Um I do want to draw your attention to this. Paul begins by saying in verse 1, um, anyone who aspires to this office aspires a good thing. So if you're a man out there tonight and you would like to be an elder, don't be ashamed of that. That's, that's something that the New Testament applauds um, because it has to do with your interest in, in God's people. Now, but does there not have to be some sense of call? Um, I mean, just because you want it to happen doesn't necessarily mean that God um, uh, is in it. Uh, no, there is um, a call. Um, Paul mentions it in. Um, uh, he, in fact, he says this in Acts chapter twenty. He says, "Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you elders or overseers." Yes, there is a calling of God. There is an unction of God that you're looking for. There is a desire, an inward desire, on the part of those that uh, you'll put in this position. But then what the New Testament goes on to do is to give you a screening process. It gives you some, some guidelines by which you are to take men and say, okay, yes, he desires the office, okay, and uh, he thinks he's got a calling of God. 
But that calling of God is to be measured by characteristics that are listed in the New Testament. And there are a bunch of them, ladies and gentlemen. Um, let me just read you. This is out of the Titus passage. I just, uh, I thought this was interesting. Just one verse. If this was the only thing that was said, this is Titus 1.8. But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. <laughs> if that was all that was said, woo! But that's not all that's said. There's a whole bunch more in addition to that. I want to break it up, all these little details in both of the passages, summarize them for you under seven headings, okay? So, the man that you're looking for um, is to be screened <coughs> under these seven different, or at least I'll call them different categories. First of all, said in a couple places, Titus 1.8 and uh, chapter 3, verse 6, right here that I read, in uh, verse 6, that this person is not to be a new convert. So the, the, the implication, of course, is that there's to be a certain maturity level um, involved in the men that you put in uh, the office of leader or office of elder. He's not to be a new convert. And I want you to notice what the text says. He must not be, a, verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So what is the reason behind not wanting to choose um, a relatively new convert to be in a position of elder? Well, because the tendency is that we can't control our own lusts such that we become puffed up. Guys, uh, as you know, life has a way of seasoning you, doesn't it? I'll tell you another thing that's a good seasoning agent. Children. <laughs> um, a young man with young children is probably not in a position to be an elder. Um, let, him, let him wrestle through some of the complexities of trying to raise young children and, and do that faithfully, that's one of the things. There's all kinds of other things. Pain being one of them, you know, um, that will also season. You just experiences. Just So, the first category is that there is to be a spiritual maturation on the part of this man that is recognizable. There is a... He is to be spiritually mature. So in terms of his relationship with God, there is to be a maturation. Guys, um, <laughs> um, I want you to know that I have a right to speak <laughs> because I've made all the mistakes. There was a guy, his first name was Bob in Ocala. And the first time I met Bob, he had a marijuana joint in his hand. He was smoking marijuana out in a garage. We were at a house at this little, I think it was a party, celebrating Susie and I's arrival in Ocala. I, I forget what it was, but it was out at Harry's. Do you remember that, that party? I remember. Anyway, this guy was invited to the party, and he was out in the garage. He didn't go to the church, and he's smoking a marijuana joint. And he's living with this girl that is a uh, Presbyterian a PCA, daughter's, PCA elder's daughter. And the PCA elder called me from South Florida and said, would you do something about this. <laughs> so Susie and I on a Saturday drive up to Gainesville, Florida to meet this girl 
And we end up, God uses us to lead both of them to a saving knowledge of Christ. They marry. He happens to be a a physician type. Anyway, um, he's he's just a neat guy. I mean, just gets turned on to Jesus in a wonderful way and marries Chris and and, um, um, has this big, I remember remember this big fall festival. He had a big ranch and and, um, we were chopping wood one night and they did a contest with chopping stumps and and, and they put me in there with an axe and I didn't know what I, it was just, I mean, the guy just, just 180 degrees. And, um, he had been a Christian about four years and I fought for this guy. I fought for this guy to be considered for an elder. And I won. He became an elder. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest regrets that I have in the ministry today is that I did not take heed to this text. There needs to be a certain maturation level before you put them in the position of elder. That's just, gosh, that's just the first category. The second category. In terms of his relationship to truth, that's the second category. In relationship to God, he must be mature. In relationship to the truth. Guys, there are several statements made in these two passages about his his knowledge of, his love of, his abilities with God's Word. Um, uh, Titus 1.9, holding fa- fast the faithful Word. Uh, uh, 1 Timothy 3.2, apt to teach. Uh, Titus 1.9, exhorting in sound doctrine. Titus 1.9, refuting those who contradict. <clears throat> guys, there has to be, a, a, in this man that you have lead you, a, a not a comprehensive uh, mastery, but a, but a familiarity, a comfortableness, an ability to teach it when, when called upon, an ability to defend it and correct those who are in error. At the center, ladies and gentlemen, of this man has to be this book. So in relationship to um, the truth, he is um, he's qualified. He, is, he, he knows it, he can defend it, and he is taught by it. Um, okay. In terms of his relationship to himself, this is the third category. There are several things that are mentioned. He's to be self-controlled. He's to be disciplined, which is, I don't know how those things are different, but Timothy says one and Titus says the other, but they're they're similar. Um, He's able to supervise himself. um, He's temperate. Um, He's he's, there's a sober-mindedness. He's sensible, says, uh, says Titus. He's not quick-tempered. No angry men allowed. You know, I used to say this. This is kind of um, the, the simpleton in me. Um, and I don't mean it, but there's real truth in it. Probably the foremost characteristic of an elder is simply this. Are you happy? Are you? Are you angry? 
life didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. You know, and um, my, I, I'm not where I sh- wanted to be and all that business. And so, guys, um, they're not quick-tempered and they're not addicted to much wine. The word used a couple of places is drunkard. Now, for all of you teetotalers out there, I'm sorry, (laughs) but the Bible doesn't say that he abstained from wine. It just says that he not be a drunkard. But it has to do with his ability to control himself uh, and and, and be in mastery of himself. Um, The fourth category is the most controversial. We could talk about this a long time. It has to do with his relationship to his family. His relationship to God, his relationship to truth, his relationship to himself, his relationship to his family. Now, of course, that's the most controversial. There's two parts to it. Um, he's, there's a the part of his relationship to his wife. And then the other part is the relationship to his kids. It has to do, the text says so, it has to do with um, if he can't, Government his own home, how do you expect him to govern the, the house of, of God's people? So, no. Um, we, we talked about this two weeks ago, so I don't want to spend any more time. He's the husband of one wife. Now, guys, you can't imagine how much debate there has been about that statement. And I'll, I'll address it in just a second, but just talk about the kids for a minute. Um, kids in submission. Uh, kids who profess faith, kids, um, l- let me just read you this. This is in t- the Titus passage in verse 6. Uh, he says to Titus, um, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. Isn't that interesting? Your kids are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, guys, Anybody in here got perfect kids? <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, I used to think I knew how to do this. And now my kids are grown and out of the house, and I think, holy moly, how did we screw those kids up? Um, and you know what you're doing? You're screwing yours up too. But you know what? You're doing the best you can. And we all get a turn. We all get a, a, you know, a shot at this. And it ain't easy. And it's, um, it's a whole lot more complex than James Dobson told us back in the 70s. You know, um, we thought a little discipline here and a little love there and it's all going to be fine. Well, discipline and love's good things and, and, you know, don't forsake them. But there's a whole lot of variables in there, in there. But guys, my heart goes out to you. Actually, I gloat that I'm, I'm that I've paid my dues, <laughs> and and now it's your turn. <laughs> I'm, but I understand it's complex. But the men that you put in in leadership, can you imagine? Um, can you imagine what it does to the people of God if they? If they ignore, if they ignore this statement on the part of Titus when he says, um, "Not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination," 
just a willful, rebellious little punk. Well, um, I don't know how you correct that. I mean, I thought I did. Just beat them hard enough, you know. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I, I mean, I'm all for discipline, but, you know, it's just complex. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't try to give anybody too much advice about raising kids because everybody, it's so blessed and complex. I'm simply saying that the New Testament has an, has an idea of the damage that willful, insubordinate kids can do to the kingdom of God if their daddy's in a position of leadership. Now, when it comes to this thing of the husband of one wife, guys, the Christian church is divided. If you pick up a stack of commentaries on that, on that statement, um, you'll get the whole gamut of what a husband of one wife means. Um, let me do it like this. Um, what, what is Paul excluding by that statement, husband of one wife? Is he excluding the never married? No, because Paul was never married. Um, is he excluding the polygamist? Yes, he is. And that's a problem, by the way, in the church in Africa tonight. It's a problem. Um, is he excluding the widowed? No, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 and 2 talks about um, the death of a spouse. Is he excluding... Someone who is guilty of unmarried, uh, excuse me, of married unfaithfulness. <laughs> what do you want me to? How, what do you want me to say to that? Ladies and gentlemen, by God's richest kindness, by God's greatest grace, I have been faithful to my wife over thirty-nine years of marriage. But I am as wicked as any man in here when it comes to the whole idea of sensuality. So does that make me qualified and somebody else who... Let, let, let me say this, guys. Um, the big question in the Christian church is, can the divorced be an elder? Um... I'll give you my understanding of the text, and then I'll tell you what the position of Grace Evan is. My understanding of the text is, can a divorced man be an elder? The answer is yes. In my denomination, the part of when I'm a part of the PCA, uh, that's the decision and conclusion they've come to. Let me tell you the conclusion that we came to as a, as a group of elders. Way back at Mickey Hill's house, in, um, gosh, 1996 or 98. Bob, you were probably at that meeting. Uh, but um, here's what we decided. We decided that the family is such a wreck. It's, it's under such incredible attack by forces from everywhere. We're not, try we're not saying that the text means that the divorce cannot be an elder. We just decided that it would be safest for us to adopt a position that divorce disqualifies. Now, guys, I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord. I'm simply saying, that's a very controversial text. Uh, the Christian church is divided about it. And so, what we have decided to do, not saying that we've got the right understanding of the text, 
What we've decided to do is simply say, if we're going to err, we're going to err on the side of great caution. So, uh, but in terms of one's relationship to his family, ladies and gentlemen, read this. There's a lot of, um, a lot of concern on the part of the Apostle Paul uh, about the family and how it's managed for those who um, become elders. Fifthly, or our fifth category, his relationship with God, his relationship with the truth, his relationship to himself, his relationship to his family, his relationship, <coughs> pardon me, with others. Um, interestingly, did you notice that, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders? Um, guys, he is, he is to be hospitable. That text is used in, I mean, that, that word is used in both passages. Um, he is uncontentious. That is, he doesn't look for nor enjoy a good fight. Uh, he's gentle. Isn't that interesting? That, um, a man, that's not a quality that men value. Well, it's a quality that the New Testament values. And Titus says he must be just. Um, in terms of how he responds and relates to other people, there is, um, People are drawn to him, not repelled by him. Here's uh, the sixth category, his relationship to things. Guys, you notice that um, money is mentioned a couple of times. Um, th- this is interesting, the way that, that Titus puts it, this is in Titus 1.7. Um, he might, must not be greedy for gain. It's not simply enough to um, not be um, a lover of money. He can't be greedy for gain, trying to stockpile money. Um, um, that's a, a very powerful commodity, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? And it can disqualify you from leading the people of God. The last category that I would mention is the relationship to his world. He's, he's mentioned uh, uh, without reproach or above reproach. That above reproach is mentioned two or three times in these, in these passages. He is respectable, and he has, as I mentioned earlier, that good reputation among outsiders. Um, the community thinks well of him. Um, his business associates uh, like doing business with him. There is a... There is a there's a piece of this whole screening process that has to do with what the non-Christian world thinks about the person that you're nominating. Um, can I just read you six words that come out of one verse? These are not all of them, but just hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Those are the men that you're looking for. You know any? Um, let me mention a couple of quick things. Um, I want you to note, or at least I want to point out, what isn't in the list. There's not a word in there about his education. There's not a word in there about skills and abilities and gifts. And I think that happens a whole lot, ladies and gentlemen, that um, spiritual giftedness is interpreted as leadership quality, and it may not be. Um, uh, let me get down and dirty. Jimmy Swaggart is incredibly gifted. 
but I wouldn't go to his church. Um, and I certainly wouldn't want him to be an elder of the church of which I'm a part. But incredibly gifted. But not a word in all of these qualifications about giftedness, ability, skills. Not a word in there about charm, charisma, or personality. I mean, how do you think Dennis Wright ever became a Christian? I mean, an elder. <laughs> Not a word in there about charm. <laughs> Just a joke. Um, n- nothing about one's personality, guys. This is not a this is not a beauty contest, and there's not a word in there about accomplishments. Well, you know, he's got a big company. You know, if he can lead that company, he can certainly lead the church. <laughs> no, no, not necessarily. Um. Guys, um, all of that stuff that I just listened, just listed, would be stuff that you would find on the average resume if you're looking for a job. And if you mention your skills and your abilities and your education and your personality and your accomplishments, that's wonderful. It's just not. It just doesn't have anything to do with church leadership. It has nothing to do with it. Uh, do not confuse. Grace with gift. Spiritual maturation with spiritual giftedness. Um, these Both of these lists, ladies and gentlemen, both of them, all they have to do with is character. You're looking for character. The key component to spiritual leadership is character. You know, I, I read, or I have, I've really kind of stopped reading them um, in the last five or six years, but there's a whole bevy of books out there on spiritual leadership. And I remember uh, picking up one, and um, it was written by a, a man whose name you know, you would recognize, and um, his opening chapter was just offensive to me because he talked about the, 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 the opening chapter of spiritual leadership, I'll show you the book, is on vision. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there's a whole lot of egomania that goes under the name of spiritual vision. It's it's not about vision, ladies and gentlemen. It's about character. We're looking for men with character. Let me say one other thing and then I'll quit. Uh, so you're looking for somebody who has the desire, for somebody who, this man senses that God has called him to do something like this, and then you're given a screening process through these two texts as to what men might really (coughs) make decisions that will be good for our souls. Um, guys, you, you want to find men who you think and believe have your best interest at heart, your best spiritual interest at heart. Once you lose trust in your leadership, it's over. We might as well box the thing up and, and shut it down. Um, so who you nominate and who you elect is 
is of critical importance. Now, having said all that, one, one quick thing. There is one word in here. Well, actually, there's more than one, but there's just, I'll leave you with one. And I want you to see it. So you've got to find the book of Hebrews, which is not easy to find. It's in the back end of the New Testament, next to James, after Philemon. So find Philemon, which is one page, and then find Hebrews. Because there's a statement in here for you. This is addressed not to the leaders. It's addressed to you. It's addressed not to the pulpit. It's addressed to the pew. It's addressed not to the elders. It's addressed to the laity. All right? It's in verse 17 of chapter 13. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. I'm not finished. I mean, the text is not finished. But ladies and gentlemen, if you don't want to do that, then for heaven's sakes, don't put them in a position of leadership. Now, now read on. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will get, have to give an account. Let them do this, that is, perform that responsibility, with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage. To you. Um, I think I can say this. I think this is pretty. I mean, uh, if I'm wrong, somebody come correct me. But I, I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that every time a group of men rotate off of our session, you know, we have a rotating session. I mentioned that two weeks ago. People rotate off. It's four you know, uh, vacancies every year. All four of those men would tell you they're eager to come back. They enjoy the experience. And they may not get elected back. That's your, that's your call. But my point is, the job of being elder around here is one that I think um, is associated with a good deal of joy, which I think speaks well of you. And your willingness to follow and lead, or follow it and, and obey the leaders that you have established, guys. I cannot overstate. I can I mean, I'm a master of overstatement, as you well know. But I cannot overstate the importance of the, what you're doing in selecting your leaders. Now, uh, I don't know how you're going to do it. If you're going to just uh, opt out, then then know this. Um, what you will do is replace the same men every year. That's your, that's your business because there's nothing that I, there's nobody that interferes with this process. There's no interference whatsoever. You nominate and you elect. So the whole thing is in your hands. And if it, if it is, if we have four openings and we only have three nominees, that's nobody's fault but the congregation's. So I, I plead with you, consider these texts prayerfully. Take a look at them tonight. And then, I've got blue cards for everybody. Come take one home. You can put as many names on here as you want. As long as you're a member of this church, you can put as many names on here. I, we did reprint the cards um, because we've got down here now a line for you to print your name because some of you, your signature's... <laughs> are an abject disgrace. <laughs> no, but we can't read them. We can't read who they are. So you've got to... Uh, uh, but grab one of these. 
Consider the passages and then understand, ladies and gentlemen, if there's ever a town meeting around here that everybody's angry because you don't trust the government, the leadership. Can you fill in the rest of that sentence? That's great. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will give us men who are um, diligent and are striving to be rightly described by the passages that we've read. And give us a congregation that take that responsibility with great sobriety, knowing that ultimately, if we are led well, we'll be, we will be a happy place. We will be a, a unified place. And the way that Satan ruins us is by giving us poor leadership. So, Lord, give us the men that you have unctioned, that you have equipped, and that you have called, and use this congregation to find those men. We commit ourselves to that process, Father, with great sobriety, and do so in Jesus' name. Amen.